The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Welcome back to our reopening series. We're in the home stretch on the fifth of six big questions about what we want from work. This week, we ask you to start dreaming big again. Because look, for a year and a half, we've been planning in one-week increments, sometimes one-hour increments. And that served us well as we navigated the worst of the pandemic. But now? Well, now we can plan and dream and scheme again. We can make a legit, optimistic five-year plan. So today is about remembering how to do that. It's going to be fun, expansive, and dare I say, entertaining. Today's guest is an actor and a writer with a bright view of the future, Matthew McConaughey. I specifically wanted to talk to Matthew about dreaming and scheming for two reasons. One, taking the long view demands self-reflection. Now, last year, Matthew published a memoir, Green Lights, in which he reveals himself to be a guy who's made a discipline of it. Long before quarantine, he stepped out of his Hollywood life regularly to reflect. This was kind of a surprise to me until I read the book. The second reason I wanted to talk to Matthew is his innate confidence. He possesses a foundational belief that he can pull anything off. Now, I wish I thought this way by default. I don't. Do you? Maybe Matthew can show us how. Here he is. The last year... Look, I, and I know I'm coming to to you and to the rest of the world. I understand I am in a more privileged position. My pantry was full. I had worked and saved up, up enough money where I didn't have to bite my nails tonight to go, I got to work tomorrow to pay the rent. Part of my job is to be able to adapt. And I pretty much said, okay, inflection time, inventory time, family, sit down. It's us and us for a while. Because we, we were very conservative about them. Everything was remote. Seen very few people in the last 16 months, personally and physically. Every couple of weeks, we'd have the dinner where we said, all right, kiddos, everyone, you, you're allowed to cuss. You're allowed to say what sucks about this. Mom, you're allowed to sit there and, and gripe about not being able to play Mahjong with your friends and let's get it out. But then, so if that was on a Sunday night, Monday for the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to make the best of it. Tried to really look at those upsides and go, we were forced into this. We were all forced to take more inventory in ourselves and who the hell, what the hell mattered to us, maybe realign our value system. Right. So those were definitely some assets. Well, so tell me a little bit about what this period of coming out and beginning to return to some of maybe yeah. some of your normalcy, if you're going to call it that. What, what's happened yeah. like for you? Well, two things. One, I'm in the middle of measuring how much we've been living in the new normal how much we're not going back. It's never going to be like it was before. Yeah. Two, hey, should it be? Well, let's talk about work. Many companies, people were more productive. I could argue I was more productive remotely. Yeah. The intentionality of this meeting, you and I, Jesse, get on at 11 a.m. Central Texas time. At 11.01, we're talking about the subject. At 11.59, we will say goodbye and I will go back in 30 seconds after we say goodbye and be with my family, what I value the most. 
Yeah. In Thursday, I didn't have to fly. I didn't leave a carbon footprint. I didn't have to drive. I didn't have to go through hair and makeup. I didn't have to do wardrobe. I didn't have to come sit down. We didn't have to just wait on the lighting. It's intentional. And yeah. in some ways, I would say maybe more intimate because of its intentionality. But, you know, I've been thinking about how change happens at so many levels. And, yeah, maybe we will all go back to the mall and back to the restaurants. Maybe we'll jump on planes and travel and go back to our business travel. But at least for me, I suspect that I am fundamentally, in in important ways, a different person internally, such right. that even if I go and recreate those same experiences, yeah. I will be experiencing them in a slightly different and I would like to think more authentic yeah. way. Heard. Yeah. I mean... When I said earlier, forced monasticism, I mean, look, not all of this. I, you read my book. I've taken backpack trips by my by myself and had a pretty good spider sense for when I need to get out on my own to go hear myself think. And not all of us have a luxury to do that. Even now, I don't with three kids. But boy, this last year and a half, I, I, we were all forced to in some way. And it's an uncomfortable situation because a lot of times we don't like spending times spending time with ourselves and that walls can get small and they can come in and we can get cabin fever and that old bottle of whatever you're drinking can start to look a little bit better to have a sip of earlier in the day. And you're going like, I'm not enjoying this company. Will someone let me out? <laughs> you know? And, but ultimately that's a, I believe that's a great process to go through because yeah. I believe it's healthier for us all to get to a place where we where we understand the difference between being alone and lonely. Yeah, I think it's 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 very healthy for us to be able to spend time with ourselves and not be lonely. To be alone and not be lonely. To reinforce and enrich the the close relationships we have, the only ones we can have, like we've had in this last year and a half to some extent. Those are on the upside. Those are on the those are in the black. That's in the asset side. And even though it's hard to go through that and even harder if you're stuck with yourself and you're trapped and you're trying to get a job and you're not able to work, that makes it even much more difficult. But, boy, if you could time alone, time we're forced to spend with ourselves is valuable time that we do not spend enough of that this last year and a half at least made us do. So there was this interesting thing that I noticed in your book, Matthew, like stepping back and looking at the long arc of it. And that is that it seemed like you would go into the world, the very public world, Hollywood, you'd make some projects, you'd you'd have some success and, you know, some things that maybe didn't go your way, you'd learn a lot. And then you'd step out of the world and you would go to a place like Peru or like very early on Australia. And it struck me that there was value for you in being able to step in and step out. And I was wondering how much your early fame influenced that, or if you thought that's actually probably innate to who you are, you would do that anyways. Oh, good question. I think it was innate to who I was. But yeah. then also later on after fame, I saw that it was actually practical and useful for my health and well-being, that I needed to take times to step out, to let memory catch up, to say, hey, what matters to me and what doesn't in this, for instance, when I first got famous in the world was yes, everything was yes. I wasn't feeling my heels on the ground. The roof yeah. was taken off my life. And I was like, I, I'm, I don't feel my heels, my feet on the ground. And as, as, as in the most affluent position I've ever been in, as I write about in the book, I just went most handsome. I got a job. I got 50 bucks in my back pocket. I got a four handicap. I made two holes in ones. I got a girlfriend. I got a truck that's paid for. I made my straight A's, mom and dad are happy. I got no curfew. I'm like, why leave this, man? <laughs> Let's roll. And I said, what? 
no, let's get the hell out of here and go to a faraway place where you nobody nobody knows your name and knows who you are and see if you can build some credibility in from hello in a place where nobody knows you. I've always been, I've had an, an, an itch and that's part of the reason I take the trip after getting famous. You get famous, you don't meet anyone at hello anymore. You have a biography on me, Jesse. Some some idea you have of me, and we just per- we actually just met for the first time. I know. So I've always felt the need to go. I want to go where no one knows my name and see if when I say goodbye, those hugs and tears are about the man they met. Have you needed that? You know, you're you're now in the middle of your life. You got famous, I would say, at the very beginning of your not the very beginning, but like the very beginning of your life as an individual. Mm-hmm. Has your need for that changed over time? Yes, because I'm I, I'm a father and I'm and, a, and I'm married, so I have three children. Yeah, and I don't afford myself the luxury to say I'm going to Mali, Africa tomorrow with my backpack. I'll be back in thirty days. I, I, I've just got more responsibilities. I've sure. got so so I'm living more for the the future and their future as well. And look, do I still need to sneak off to the backyard and go stay in the Airstream for a couple of days? Sure. We have to, it's harder. You've got to carve out time for your, for our, for our, our lovers, our spouses. We have to carve out time for ourselves as well. And then say, Hey, it's good that the kids see they're not always number one, but that's a challenge. So yeah, today I need it, but I know I'm, I'm like, Bide some time. And Matthew is committed to doing the things he needs to do to live his best life. He kind of embodies this idea that you only get one shot and he's going to take it. Now, as you can hear this confidence, it's so crystallized. He doesn't settle for a good role when he can see a great role ahead of him. Like there's this example that I love in um, the John Grisham film, A Time to Kill. Originally, he was cast in it as a side role, but he wanted to be the lead. Now, I know that doesn't sound crazy right now, but at that point in his career, he was a new kid on the block. It was not clear at all that he could carry something like that. Still, he asked for it. And he didn't take no for an answer either. He auditioned for it, and eventually he got it. And it's not just that Matthew did it this one time. This is Matthew's thing. He just does this over and over and over again. I wanted to know what gave him the confidence to believe that this could possibly be an appropriate thing to do. So it was about kind of up challenging, daring myself to go, well, you know, you're right. You know, you're right for it. It scares the heck out of you. And you think, "Uh, who the hell do you think you are to be asked for this? But you know, believe that you're right for it. Maybe you're not today, but if you get put in the game, you'll do the work. And then the second thing was, See if I can get away with it. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, what, what are they going to do? What's the worst? They can just tell me no. What's the worst thing they can do is go, is you can get embarrassed by the ask or, or maybe being too affront. So the confidence was a bit projected. I mean, yeah. I'm scared. I'm nerd. My heartbeat is rising and I'm pulling on the drag of my cigarette, and my sleeveless Mellencamp shirt, waiting for that moment to go. I think I should play that role. I mean, I'm nervous when I'm doing that. I'm not Joe Cool. I'm maybe looking Joe Cool, but my heartbeat is like saying yes to Michelle in the wrestling match in Africa. My heartbeat is racing, going, "Oh my gosh, what is what could happen? You could, well, you get killed. You could get a broken arm. I don't know." But the idea that this is what I think it comes down to: 
if I take a risk and jump in and, and do my best, if it works, I enjoy looking in the mirror and going, you had a lot to do with that, Matthew. If it doesn't work, I don't like it, but I respect looking in the mirror and going, you had a lot of reason why that didn't work. The feeling I don't like, the feeling that keeps me up at night is, what if? Damn it. What if I, why didn't I just, why did I choke when I got right there to the finish line? Why did, I had I had a gap. It was right there. And I, and, and I, I put my foot in my mouth. The, or I said no. And now I don't know what would have happened. That feeling, the not knowing, is what keeps me up at night that I don't like that feeling. Yeah. The the knowing if I had something to do with the success or the knowing that I had something to do with the failure, I'd rather deal with even the knowing I had a lot to do with the failure than not knowing what if I would have just tried. Well, so you mentioned embarrassment, right? The embarrassment that you you might be perceived as as being qualified for something that, in fact, you are no way qualified for and the rest of the world knows it. And it turns out you're a fraud and now I'm spiraling in my own anxiety. I'm not talking for you. Did it? Did you ever get a no? I mean, have you have you sort of run that and been told, no, you don't get this after all? Because I'm just curious oh. if you experience the embarrassment or if, in fact, like the embarrassment is a mirage. It doesn't exist. No, I've yeah, I've had plenty of embarrassment and plenty of no's. I've had auditions where I was down to the wire where I made, you know, U-turns in the middle of interstates to go back and try and audition again and went in the room and barged in and just went for something that was completely sucked. It was completely off the mark. And they were like, what? Get out of here. We're going to call the cops and left going, oh, my gosh, that was a big whiff. But. I got over that embarrassment, and that night I was able to go to sleep and go, well, you sure as hell swung. <laughs> you you missed completely. But you, and I noticed what nagged me more was leaving things and going, you kind of gave it 80%. That would nag me more than swinging and whiffing on the 100%. We're talking to one of my children. He's got a uh, friend that he wants to talk to. They're not, it's not a serious relationship, but they're in a nice relationship. And we're about to leave town and go on a vacation. And he's like, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just call it. And we're like, no, no, no. We'll go pick her. This, this is a conversation to have in person. And you can see he gets nervous. Like, you're nervous. He's like, yeah. I was like, good. These are those ones that you need. You'll feel like a bit larger person. No matter what her response is, you'll feel more in, in time greater about yourself. Plus, it's a great habit. I've always yeah. tried the habit, not 100% if I pulled it off. I've tried to have to answer no's to people in person as well, rather than the easy no show or the easy text, you know, whether it's to a director or a friend or something, to go and have the hard conversation, the one that you just don't like. Because what happens on after every one of those no's if you do it in person? Even if that person is hurt and didn't get the outcome they wanted, they respect you more. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Matthew will tell us about what happened when he decided to make a change that Hollywood was not interested in. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. 
Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. Matthew McConaughey, for a long time, made romantic comedies. He was great at them. He was so fun to watch. And he had fun, too. He made money. But at a certain point, he hit that moment that a lot of us... Well, a lot of us find ourselves in right now, where what used to fulfill him, it just stopped working. The system, Hollywood, was still interested in Matthew McConaughey, the romantic comedy star, but Matthew wanted something different. He needed to make a change. I think we know inherently as humans, I think we know what we need to do more often than give ourselves credit for. The hard part is choosing, when do I do it? We can put stuff off and bump it forward for so long, like, damn it. You know, I write in the book that uh, there's a quote in there I love that keeps coming to the rising to the top in the recently, which is like, sometimes it's not about what decision you make. Just damn it, make one and commit to it. It mm-hmm. will reveal itself because I've done it. How many times we sit there in limbo? Well, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And all of a sudden, a decade goes by and you're like, I'm still waiting. And you're like, but dude, just, you should, if you'd have just jumped one way or the other, 10 years ago, you'd know you'd be on a different path because you'd have found it. It would have defined itself. Um, wrong or right, true or false. I was very successful in rom-coms. Enjoy doing them. But I was remember feeling like, I remember writing myself, like, like damn it, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of just an entertainer. And I was like, well, what's wrong with being an entertainer? That's great value. I love entertaining. That's great. And I was like, I know. But I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling, I didn't feel like I was growing in my work. And at the time, parallel to my work, the rom-coms, I've met Camilla. We've had our first child. So now my life is vital. I mean, I'm feeling it. I'm, my joy, the ceiling of my joy is much higher. The basement of my anger is much lower. I laugh louder. I love harder. I get angry. I mean, I'm feeling alive. But my work is not feeling that vital. My life has got me sweating in my boots in a good way, daily. But my work feels like, oh, I could do that tomorrow. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool that you've got something you could just feel like you could do tomorrow. But, oh, I wish, could I find some work that makes me sweat in my boots like my life does? Yeah. Well, let's go for it. So, yeah, that's in those dramas I want to do. Hey, agent, what about this? What about this? They don't want you. Well, I'll, t- I'll take a, I'll take a, um, I'll take a huge pay cut. I'll take a, a, an eighth of what that, what my, they still don't want you. Damn it. I can't do what I want to do. Block, block, block. No, 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 no. And then I said, okay, if I can't do what I, what I want to do, what if I stop doing what I've been doing? Even though it's 
paying my, doing more than paying my rent. It's afforded me a lifestyle. So I quit doing the rom-coms and that was a tough decision. There were tears, many tears hit the ground over that because was I taking a one-way ticket out of Hollywood? Who the hell was I? What was I thinking? I come from a place that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be doing what I do. I'm happy to be doing what I do. And my brothers were like, what is your major malfunction, Matthew? What are you doing? But they knew the way I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I'd already talked about it with Camilla. She goes, okay, we're going to do this. You know, you're going to get wobbly. You're going to have these days of no structure and nothing to look forward to. And you're going to get a little off balance. We're going to stick with it. I said, okay. And I did. For the first six months, nothing comes in but rom-coms. No, 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 no. One comes in at $8 million offer. No. They come back at a $10 million offer. No. They come back at a $12.5 million offer. No. They come back at a $14.5 million offer. I say, let me read it again. So I wasn't so puritanical about the number. <laughs> I mean, that dollar amount came back. And I read that script. Same exact words in the $14.5 million offer as were in the $8 million offer. Same exact words. But at that price, it was a better script. Okay, so so it was funnier. I had more angles. Yes, I could make this work. Anyway, <laughs> I said no. And when I said no to that, I think for me and somehow invisibly for the industry, the industry goes, oh, he's not bluffing. He's really not doing it. So then nothing comes in. No offers for the next 12 months. I call my agent every week. Anything? He said, sir, Matthew, I haven't even heard your name. Now I'm thinking, I did it. I just wrote a ticket out of Hollywood. Now, at the same time, I'm gaining a little strength because I'm getting a bit of honor in the endurance and the sacrifice. I'm feeling like with each day, I'm getting another little piece of armor and that I just have a hunch there's value at the end of this. Very similar to that Australia year. If I can just go another day, if I outlast this thing, if I endure this, there's a greater prize at the end. So then I started to kind of get jazzed on this penance I felt like I was, I was playing. I was like, give me another day without. Give me another day without. Well, when I got into that mode and felt that way, and was now really considering other vocations for the rest of my life, what happens? Bring. 21 months since I've worked or been in Hollywood, no one knows where the hell I am. I've been, Matthew McConaughey has been forgotten or at least found anonymity. We haven't seen him. Guess who's the new great novel idea for Lincoln Lawyer, Killer Joe, Paperboy, Magic Mike, Mud, True Detective, Dallas Fires. I was, and I was like, yes. And we just, Camille and I packed up our bags with our son and we said, let's go hammer them. This is what I've been wanting to do, let's go. So I unbranded in that 20 month period, as many of us have had to do in this last 16 month, you unbrand yeah. Yeah. to then rebrand. And I think for all of us out there in this, like, what is this rebrand phase? Some of us, some people have had to just keep their head above water this last 16 months. Other people and companies, very early on, projected that 18 month and beyond and said, we're making a pivot early and it's paying off for them because they said, oh, this is we're now living in the future. They were saying that a year ago, year and a half ago. This is the new future. Let's bet on it. But a lot of a lot of people just had to survive. So but now we're coming out again. How's the world changed? Don't go straight back to how it was because it hasn't. It's not how it was and it's never going to be just how it was. What are the opportunities coming out with engagement? Also, knowing that when we think I'm the only one confused about where my future is, as we're re-engaging, everybody else is still confused <laughs> about where the hell everyone's, we, everyone needs a little bit of amnesty right now. Everyone's going to be awkward. 
coming yeah, out. I don't know. Well, I, I was socially around some people <laughs> outside a couple of weeks ago and I was like, I'm feeling like this is weird. I didn't know how to socially engage. So just know that everyone's got that. And that can give you a little bit of relaxation to know that everyone's in the particularly same boat. Matthew, your own personal goals for the next five years, like what do you want, where do you want to grow? Maybe particularly, where do you want to grow that we haven't seen you grow yet? I want to be more me. I want to invest my time and energy in things that, 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 that feed my truest self more. And if they do that, they're going to feed my family more. And I believe if they do that, there's going to feed more people. I'm still interested in playing characters and doing films and being part of good stories. At the same time, I'm really saying, questioning, well, who am I in this, in the, in the big show? This one called life that the camera's always on. What am I doing in this take? People ask me all the time, Hey, you achieved all those 10 goals. You wrote down your book. What are your new 10 goals? I go, I haven't achieved all those goals yet. I'm in the midst of achieving. I'm off to a good start. Find the woman for me a keeper, become a father. I'm still in the midst of achieving. I'm trying to get my roots to grow wider and deeper at the same time. I believe I'm being called into a leadership role and I will have to, it will have to be in a storytelling role because I love telling stories and I think I've got a knack for it. I mean, politically, each party thinks they have ownership to certain values that they don't own. <laughs> you know, we say, well, that's mine. So therefore it can't be yours if you think differently. No, these are human values that we all share. So I want to expose those things, those common denominators of values to myself, my family, and more people. I want to be, uh, do my best to be an example of living them out. And what category or embassy will that be in as far as what my title or vocation will be? I'm not, I'm not sure yet. It's why I've, just, why I've pondered, you know, uh, teaching, politics, things like that. I'm not sure what that category is yet. But where I know I need to start and triple down on is right here in my household with my family. That was the actor Matthew McConaughey. Check out his memoir, Green Lights. It's really worth the read. So this week for our assignment, I want you to describe the very best version of your life five years from now. It's a five-year plan. Now, if you really want to get into it, revisit our episode with Debbie Millman from last January. She recommends this exercise. She thinks it's magic, and I do too. I want you to get every single last thing down from the chair that you're sitting in to the food that you have for breakfast on that day in five years to the office that you exist in or don't exist in, the work that you are doing and how it makes you feel. Get it all on paper, no matter how unlikely you actually believe it is to occur. That is part of the magic. Then join us for office hours on Wednesday to discuss. We'll see you at 3 p.m. Eastern. As usual, you can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you a link. Sarah, Michaela, and I will be doing the exercise too and we'll bring our exercises to office hours. Hope to see you there. Next week, we'll explore our sixth and last big question in the reopening series. We'll be talking about how we take risks again. This week we dreamed, next week we're getting practical. Now, to puzzle this out, we'll be talking with an inspiring guest, someone I've known for many years, Sukinder Singh Cassidy. She's just written a book on this topic. Now, if you like the show, please rate us and review us. It takes two seconds, and it helps listeners find us. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm with help from Taisha Henry. Judge Georgie mixed our show. 
Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer and Victoria Taylor inspire confidence in all of us. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Brigmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Qualified optimism, which I believe is necessary for survival and, and thrival, if there's yeah. a word, which you know yeah. I make up words. So I like that thrival. one. Thrival? I think, <laughs> I think we need to call the episode thrival, frankly, because I, thrival. That, that wraps thrival. up what we're doing right here.